Hey and welcome back to Scalescape, I'm your host Justin Chu. Today I have a discussion with Henry Arslanian, partner at PwC, global crypto leader and first chairman of the Fintech Association of Hong Kong. And that's only a couple of the many hats that he wears. We have an in-depth discussion today on the world of fintech and its applications in the financial hub of Hong Kong. I hope you enjoy. Hey Henry, I'm so happy and excited to that you're able to do this with me today. I know that you're moving yourself around. It's a bit messy. Uh, you're still trying to come <laughs> back to Hong Kong. But thank you so much for taking the time to do this with me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Uh, to kick things off, uh, Henry, could you tell us about the, you know, the different hats that you wear and why you're so incredibly passionate about fintech? <laughs> of course. First of all, thanks for your listeners too, for tuning in. Uh, as you said, I mean, my name is uh, Henry Arslanian and really my passion and my focus in life is the future of the financial industry and the future of money. And I do this wearing a couple hats. You know, uh, my, my day job is uh, I'm a partner at PwC where I'm the global crypto leader. So we really focus on, you know, not only uh, building basically the future of money, uh, future of finance uh, from central banks, crypto firms, uh, you know, financial institutions, regulators and the likes. But then obviously I have my community hat. So literally until this month, I was a chairman of the Fintech Association of Hong Kong, where we have over 1,700 uh, members that are representing around 400 firms in Hong Kong. So it's been very exciting from that perspective. Uh, but then also uh, one of my favorite hats that I wear is that as an adjunct associate professor at the University of Hong Kong, where I teach the first Fintech University class uh, in, in Asia. And then obviously I have a lot of other smaller hats, like one of them is as an author, uh, I published recently my uh, my latest best-selling book called The Future of Finance. Uh, and actually, I'm working on now on my uh, on my third book uh, called The Future of Money, which is supposed to come out uh, about uh, next summer. So a lot of these exciting uh, topics. And then also, I have a lot of uh, policy-making roles. I sit, uh, for example, on the FinTech Working Group of the SFC, the regulator in Hong Kong, the same of the, uh, the HKIMR, which uh, is related to the Hong Kong Central Bank, and so on and so forth. So very, very passionate about it. And the reason I'm focused on finance is uh, in FinTech is uh, by background, I'm, I'm a lawyer and a banker. And really, when I look at the industries that are being disrupted right now over the coming years, I think finance is one that is meant to be disrupted. And we're seeing it literally or, uh, you know, right now, over the last five years, the impact fintech has had on the financial industry has been remarkable. Uh, over the next two to three years, one of the areas we're going to see massive experimentation, pilots, development is going to be on the future of money with central bank digital currencies coming in, Facebook's Libra coming in, and other broader changes brought forward by the crypto ecosystem. So very, very exciting. The period we are going through right now, Justin, is a period that our kids and our grandchildren will read about it and will look down in history, will look back in history as one of the pivotal moments that changed the course of finance and money. And I feel privileged to be not only able to witness it, but be part of it and be able to drive part of it. Awesome. And you know, the, the whole uh, global fintech ecosystem, there's so many different parts to break that down. And, you know, because this podcast, after all, is focused on entrepreneurship and focused on scaling companies uh, that are able to provide this kind of disruption that you're talking about and this kind of innovation. I, I do want to just start a bit by focusing inwards on what's happening within Hong Kong, uh, which is sure. a booming market within the fintech um, uh, industry. Uh, you know, where we have uh, so many solutions and products that are racing to innovate. You know, we've got unicorns, right? Like AirWallets, like WeLab. We also have Prevake Technologies, uh, Acumon, which, you know, recently I was just heading down Central Station in Hong Kong and their ads are plastered uh, in Central Station. And, 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 you know, they do robo-advisory services um, or even Crip. 
up and coming. Uh, they have a centralized credit card reward system with such a saturated market. What kind of companies would you want to see uh, more of or less of uh, in the coming years ahead? And, and what, what kind of sectors within fintech do you want to see more disruption and innovation around? Absolutely. Uh, first of all, you know, I think Hong Kong has a very booming fintech and crypto ecosystem. You know, I've been privileged. Uh, you know, I moved to Beijing in 2006 and I've been uh, since 2008. I've been living in Hong Kong. Hong Kong is my home. This is where my kids are born. Uh, it's home. And I have to say, it's been very impressive seeing the fintech ecosystem really boom, ground up organically over the last couple of years. Uh, today, Hong Kong is one of the global fintech hubs. It's one of the global crypto hubs. And I have to say, a lot of this happened organically. You know, obviously, there was support from government, from policymakers, and so on and so forth. Uh, I think uh, Hong Kong is a very interesting place because I think for a couple types of products, uh, one of them, I would say, is on the B2B side. You know, there's obviously a number of financial institutions, and Hong Kong has kind of become a hub uh, for uh, fintechs, not only locally, but also globally, that want to use it as a stepping stone to service the financial services ecosystem from that perspective. On a B2C perspective, Hong Kong it, by itself tends to be a bit of a small market. As you know, we're only 8 million people. It's, it's relatively small. But again, the way to look at it often is a regional play. Uh, you know, I often say that it's not a Hong Kong versus Singapore. It's a Hong Kong and Singapore. And really, it's kind of the, the entire, it's good hub from a regional perspective. I'm really proud to see how much the ecosystem has grown over the last couple of years. And I expect the fintech ecosystem of Hong Kong to continue growing uh, at, the, at the rapid pace uh, for the years to come. Of course, you know, and I'm super glad that you did bring up that sort of a, a dichotomy and comparison between Hong Kong and Singapore. I like how you're sort of phrasing it in, in the sense that, you know, it's, it's, it's Hong Kong and Singapore and not sort of, a, they're not distant or not detached. But, you know, again, I'm also sure that you're aware, uh, you know, that there's a growing sentiment that, you know, because of the uh, recent enactment of the national security law and the social political situation uh, over the past uh, year, that, you know, it's what do you think the future of fintech in Hong Kong is? And what do you see um, as the value for fintech companies to pick and situate themselves in Hong Kong as a base point as compared to other um, places in, in Asia? No, absolutely. It's a question I get asked a lot is really the role that Hong Kong is going to play on the fintech ecosystem, right, moving forward, especially Yes, it's been challenging times in Hong Kong, uh, not only the social unrest we've seen uh, about a year ago and starting a year ago to obviously the COVID pandemic that has uh, had a negative impact on many parts of the economy and including fintech as well. Uh, I, but I still believe that Hong Kong remains a very important uh, hub for a couple of reasons. One of them is, you know, if you're looking at servicing the B2B sector, the financial institutions, I mean, Hong Kong is home to pretty much all the large global financial institutions. And actually for a lot of financial institutions, a lot of their innovation takes off in place in, in Asia uh, for a very simple reason. Uh, I think without, like if you look at the global perspective, uh, China, for example, is without any doubt the global fintech leader when it comes to B2C fintech. China is today easily, easily three to, three to four years ahead of the rest of the world. In certain areas like insurtech, you know, uh, which is more related to the insurance industry, I would argue that China is seven, eight, maybe 10 years ahead of everybody else. So there's not, probably not even a competition anymore. Uh, when it comes to uh, Asia as a region, is a region that is very, very advanced as well when it comes to broader, broader fintech. So I think it's still uh, Hong Kong and Asia in general has a big role to play. Uh, when it comes also, I think Hong Kong has a big advantage as the hub. So for anybody looking at setting a, you know, a stepping stone to China as a stepping stone to the region, 
uh, I think Hong Kong, uh, for all the reasons that your listeners know already, uh, I think still plays a big, a big role from that perspective. So I'm still quite, opti- uh, quite optimistic on the future of uh, Hong Kong as a fintech hub. And I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. Amazing. Uh, to your point, though, about how Hong Kong is home to all these large financial institutions, fintech is disrupting and it's innovating and it's you know providing a, 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 another solution to all these traditional financial systems with which corporates and bankings have to keep up with. Uh, which leads me to my next point and my next question, and that is, um, how are banks and corporates keeping up with the disruption that is so rife in fintech? You know, obviously, HSBC 2017 uh, launched with the PayMe. Uh, two years down the road, three years down the road, there, you know, it's a, it's a very successful launch. It's also um, sort of a, it, it shows that they're able to keep up in, in a sense with the kind of disruption uh, that fintech's uh, facing. Um, what you know are your thoughts on sort of uh, this uh, relationship between corporates and uh, these fintech uh, companies, and how can uh, corporates keep up with this disruption? Absolutely, I think every single financial institution needs to have a very clear fintech or transformation strategy. Uh, you know, and I think this has been even catalyzed uh, via what's happening right now with the COVID nineteen pandemic. I would say that traditionally, when I look at the last three or four years. Uh, there were two kinds of financial institutions. Uh, some of them uh, were very good in the marketing of their fintech uh, strategy, but frankly, when you looked behind the scenes, there was not much being done. Uh, you know, it's, uh, there was a lot of window dressing. Uh, often they would do just the minimum so the CEO can look good in their in the speeches. They would have like innovation lab or a couple of guys wearing t-shirts. So when students come, they can show these guys wearing t-shirts. They would do a couple of POs, proof of concepts, uh, just to create a bit of buzz. But actually, when you look fundamentally, there was no major change going on. And there's a couple of reasons for that. Uh, one of them is you need, the only way it works is you need top-down, senior-level leadership, you know, and, and driving the change uh, by example, right? So if uh, as, uh, you have, for example, a chief innovation officer who doesn't even have control with the leadership of the organization, it's basically great marketing. Uh, the cases, um, and also there's, there's other reasons. One of them is career risk. You know, it's very easy to continue a business as usual. Nobody gets fired, especially in an environment where, you know, revenues are being affected, people are getting fired. People always are always very selfish. And a lot of people then we start always thinking about their own interests and taking a risk, trying to make a big transformation, trying to bring a new, new fintech or partnering with a fintech is always on the risky side. So I think we have to be very careful. There's been a number of organizations where there was a lot of window dressing. However, there were organizations where there was a top-down really a senior leadership vision, focus, and execution on fintech. And those are the organizations that have been, uh, that, that are being success- successful right now. And I think after COVID-19, we'll kind of, uh, uh, kind of accelerate this and show that the uh, organizations that did the right investments a couple of years ago now should pay off. So I think that's the one, um, I mean, the one big difference it's important for all of us to understand. Uh, I'm, I'm very happy to see that things are slowly changing. Uh, you know, I think there's a lot of within organizations that are a bit more acknowledgement that you need these kind of, uh, you know, people to drive the change. I really believe that the next three, four years, some of the most important skills within financial institutions are actually going to be the intrapreneurs, not the entrepreneurs who are building startups outside, but the intrapreneurs who are able to drive change, be the game changers, be the guys pushing the boundaries within the organizations. And I think this is going to be radically need transformation and how leadership, management organizations promote people and actually uh, lets them grow. I always say that organizations do not promote enough people who failed. People who tried something that was bold, 
it may potentially fail. And that's why I think we need to encourage this. We need to promote this uh, from a leadership perspective. So I think hopefully I look forward to some change within this. And I think organizations that embrace it properly will succeed. But unfortunately for many of them, they're not going to do so. And, you know, I think it's going to be slow, slow debt over the next couple of years. 100%. And, you know, you touched on a lot of things there. So I think I'll unpack it a little bit. Um, you spoke about how uh, the recent pandemic, you know, especially with the third wave within Hong Kong and just globally, you know, we're looking towards um, it's it's really accelerated this, this sort of digitization of financial services and models in which we don't need contact. Um, and then to your point about how uh, we need top down leadership in which they can enact policies wide-changing, widespread policies within the organization. As your role, I think, um, in PwC, right, how have you been able to drive that kind of uh, innovation and intrapreneurship, as you were just saying? Yeah, I mean, so the, the my personal example is, is, I think, is a very illustrative of what I think other firms will be doing over the next couple of years. And like I mentioned, I joined at PwC uh, three years ago. You know, I've never been working in a big four. You know, I'm a, I'm a lawyer, I'm a banker. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not an auditor. I'm, you know, the only time I've done accounting was in my uh, executive MBA. You know, so I'm, I don't, I'm not a typical PwC person. And, um, you know, I think these big four, what people often forget, they're actually very entrepreneurial organizations. Just because of the ownership structure where it's owned by the partners, I think the organization by nature uh, becomes very uh, entrepreneurial. You know, so I set up three years ago this crypto team. Uh, literally, when I, when I started it, uh, people uh, laughed and said, well, good luck with your Bitcointing. Uh, and of course, since then, it's been, a, it's been a quite a success. You know, we have, uh, you know, just to give an example, uh, globally, in the last 36 months, uh, we completed over 400 crypto engagements. We accepted Bitcoin two years ago as payment. Uh, and now we're pretty much uh, at the cutting edge of a lot of the activity going on. Uh, earlier this year, we closed the first ever crypto fundraising deal in PwC history. We did the first crypto uh, large valuation project. And um, pretty much now, anything you hear cutting edge happening at the global level, we're normally involved in one form or the other. So I think that's been a very good example of that. And the reason that has been happening is because of the senior leadership perspective, there was a vision of transforming, radically changing the business and being bold and encouraging game changers. And I think that's, and that's essential. Uh, I personally believe that you know, every five years, I will need to completely reinvent myself. And I think that's the reason, actually, why I spend a lot of time in universities. I spend a lot of time teaching students because I really believe that our education system, you know, I've been teaching in universities now for maybe over 10 years now. And um, I think universities overall have done a terrible job. It amazes me that whenever we hire people at PwC, we pretty much have to train them when we get to them, get to get them in. I mean, think about your listeners, what you have learned at university and how useful was it in your first job. Uh, I think it's great. As a, it's fun to be university. I had a great time in university days for probably not academic reasons, for other reasons. But I think the entire educational system will need to change very quickly. And I think in each one of us uh, has a duty to be paranoid. I tell this to all my students. Uh, I'm personally paranoid. I, never, I tell people I never sit comfortably on my chair. I always sit on the edge of my seat. And I continuously, continuously think, okay, how am I going to get disrupted and how I can actually reinvent myself? Uh, you know, for me, a great example was... Um, uh, and it was uh, in January, February, when in Asia, we started with the COVID pandemic. And I was seeing people spend their time on Netflix and complaining that they've watched all the Netflix videos and so on and so forth. During that time, I was spending my time on learning, improving myself, working on my next book. Uh, so I really believe that unless you're paranoid, you're completely reinventing yourself, that's not going to happen. I started my career as a lawyer. In a couple of years, I moved, I moved to banking. Uh, banking, I was in startups. And then I'm, I'm, I'm a PwC partner today. In five years, God knows what I'll be. God knows what I'll be doing, you know, but I think it's just keeping this, uh, what I call this immigrant mentality, you know, always, always being paranoid, working hard, 
and trying to actually uh, stay on the edge of your seat. No, that's, that's such an amazing way to put it. I really couldn't agree more, Henry. It's really about, you know, putting yourself out there and, and, and really seeing what kind of um, skill sets that you need to adapt to and, and what, it, what the future holds for you and how you can better position yourselves to be better situated in that, you know, in these coming years um, with all this innovation that's coming around in different sectors, not even just fintech, health tech, um, you know, all Correct. kinds of other industries as well. Um, I, but obviously, because this is entrepreneurship, I do want to reel it back into entrepreneurship and, and with, with fintech companies. Um, for people that are just setting foot into the wonderful world of fintech, early players in the game that are just starting to get the foot in the door and, and to ideate around solutions, what kinds of tips or insights can you give them to pave their way in building a right fintech solution for a financial pain point? So uh, this is a question, you know, over the last couple of years, I remember when I started in fintech, uh, first of all, fintech was not even a term. I remember uh, half of the speeches I would start I would start by explaining what is fintech. Now, obviously, the term has become quite mainstream. Right? People thought when I told them I worked in fintech, they thought it was the name of a company. Of course, we came a long way uh, since then. The, the one advice, I think there's two kinds of, uh, of ways of looking at it. I think the advice really differs if you're, you're today in the financial service ecosystem or if you're not. So for those who are today working in the financial services industry, I guarantee you, each one of your listeners who works in finance today can identify 100 pain points. I guarantee you. Those who work in banks, they know how uh, manual, how much Excel is used, how a lot of the services are quite, uh, uh, you know, it hasn't evolved for many, many years. Uh, so I think for those who are already in the industry, you have the advantage of knowing the problems and you actually have the chance to tackle them. Uh, the biggest problem I see right now with people in finance is actually having the guts to leave, especially when they're at the senior level. Uh, today, and I, you know, I think I'm, I've been very vocal about this, if you're just looking for a good job, you know, you want to go home, enjoy time with your girlfriend, have a good time, enjoy your weekends. Finance still remains a great profession. You may hate your life. I don't think you may not change the world. But I think for the amount of work you do, what you get paid is still very, very high. And that's why I often see the problem in banks. People don't want change because they don't want to disrupt their job because they know if they get fired, they won't be in our job. And, you know, they'll be. I mean, I've seen many times personal examples where, um, you know, we were going to bring solution in the bank. And the person who was doing that job often manually tried to actively block it because they knew it was a threat to their, to their personal livelihood. I had an example recently about a year and a half ago where I went to a bank and I told them, hey, there's this solution. And the guy was like, listen, Henry, it's great. But, you know, I have a demanding wife. I have kids in international schools. I have a great package here. In two years, I'll be moving back to London. Let this be somebody else's problem. Right? So I think everybody's a bit selfish. You can come back to that example. For those who are young, your younger listeners, you know, um, this is going to change. The industry will change. So I think that those who are, are in industry right now have the ability to spot the problem and change it. Where I think the biggest opportunity lies are for those who are outside the financial industry today. Some of the most successful examples you look today in the financial industry have come from people who had zero experience in finance. I mean, a great example I, I like to give is the um, InsureTech app called Lemonade in the US, where, you know, these guys came and said, why is the insurance experience so terrible? And they completely redesigned and retaught through and they didn't have the kind of the, uh, the weight or the misconceptions because if they had worked in the industry. So I think so coming from outside and actually reinventing, reimagining how the process could work has a lot of benefits as well. So I think it's, it's, there's a bit of, I think there's two different approaches for each. Uh, the one thing I often say to people, though, it's, it's difficult. Fintech is, you know, you're not going to have the B2C, you know, hockey curve sticks that you can have in other industries, right? Uh, I think that's one of the reasons as well, especially for B2B fintech. A lot of the funding is a bit more tricky uh, because you're not going to hit the hockey stick. There's a lot of regulations. There's a lot of barrier to entries and so on and so forth. But this being said, um, you know, finance has always been here. 
finance will remain here. Uh, you know, banking as we know it may may change radically, but you know, the function of banking and financial services will always remain here. You know, a couple a couple hundred years ago, was people on a, on a river of a bank of a, on a sitting around the river making financial transactions. It evolved from you know branches and so on and so forth to digital banking we have today. And obviously now the future is coming with digital assets and crypto. So I think it's a still a very very exciting space to be in, and uh, I expect it to be as exciting over the coming years. Fantastic. And you know what you you know you, your your example of lemonade and how these people don't have experience in uh, in the industry and they're coming in and they're really solving this pain point uh, from the consumer end because they're at the consumer end the consumer perspective they really understand the ins and outs of this really crucial pain point right and and you know to your example um, that's the kind of innovation that fintech is about it's they're Correct. at the forefront facing the consumer and they're able to be attuned to these um, uh, pain points and, and difficulties that the consumer is facing. And then, you know, more traditional financial institutions can deal with the back end stuff. Correct. And that's a big problem, actually, Justin, because, you know, the biggest challenge of financial institutions today for fintech adoption is not regulations, is not cost, it's actually people. I mean, I mean, think about your own banking experience we have right now, whether in Hong Kong or anywhere else in the world. I'm sure if I ask you, do you enjoy your banking experience, you'll hate it. Uh, you, you probably don't enjoy it uh, uh, as much as, as as much as you want to, and I think that's one of the biggest problems. I was dealing with one of my banks the other day uh, for a certain document, and literally they sent me a document by email. They asked me to print it, to to sign it, and to fax it back. I mean, frankly, anybody in finance that uses the term fax should be fired today. I was recently in Hong Kong as well. I went to one of my uh, lovely banks, and literally I told the, the person who was there. I said, "Listen, I mean." Don't you think there's better ways, way, better ways we could do this, you know, using fintech? And uh, literally she was, what is fintech? And I couldn't believe it. You know, I'm the chairman of the fintech association. And I literally wrote it down on a piece of paper. And I said, please Google this at night when you get home. And I was telling her it's the use of technology. And I kid you not, Justin, what she told me. This is one of the biggest banks in the world and one of the biggest ones in Hong Kong. Uh, the lady there told me, Mr. Arslanian, this is not good because if we use this technology, I'll be out of a job. So I think it's when I say it's behavior, there's a lot of humans blocking it. And unless you are paranoid, like I mentioned before, you're sitting on the edge of your seat and you're, you're happy and you expect to be disrupted and you're happy to adapt and change, unfortunately, uh, you're screwed in a couple of years. So I think that's, that's kind of the biggest uh, obstacles we have right now to fintech adoption. No, exactly. You know, I, I really couldn't agree more. Again, going back to your point, uh, you know, sitting on the edge of your seat and being paranoid in that sense and, and really seeing how you can be better situated as time progresses with innovation and to keep up with these trends. Um, again, on that point of innovation, though, as we're talking a bit about uh, fintech companies and for players that are inside the in, inside the industry and also outside the industry, um, fintech companies are also right now having to compete against uh, institutions like banks, but then also technology powerhouses like Amazon and Facebook, like you just said, Lib Libra Exchange, that are also extending their arm into financial services. How can fintech companies better position themselves against their more established counterparts? It's a, it's a great question, Justin. Now, obviously, I think the where the, the future of finance is being built is not necessarily by fintech companies, but rather by tech fin companies, technology firms that are entering the financial industry. Uh, these are not uh, these are not firms for the financial industry. These are technology players that just happen to have one more vertical in financial services. I would argue that the biggest disruption in finance is going to come from these firms. Uh, we've seen it right now. Uh, you know, I've been talking about this topic since 2015, and I was actually very criticized. I mean, actually, one of my first uh, TEDx talk um, was in I think early 2000, late 2015, 2016. You could, your, your listeners can find it on, on, on YouTube or 
uh, it was called the future of banking or future of finance. And um, really, I was like mentioning how I believe that tech firms who have the brand recognition, they have the customer base already, they have the deep pockets, could really come and disrupt uh, the financial sector. At a time, I was very criticized for that. And actually, in my last book, The Future of Finance, again, what your user readers can find on the internet, on, on Amazon or elsewhere, um, I talk about the tech fin movement quite a lot because I really believe it has a big role to play. This brings, obviously, a big question to any entrepreneur today who's launching a business. Uh, and again, I think there, there's two ways to look at it. At it. Um, first, I would say many entrepreneurs are building their fintech business, and as a potential exit are these large tech fin firms. And that's one option to look at. Uh, however, I think there's a very real risk that these big tech fin firms would do what, frankly, a lot of large companies do, which is copy what they've seen the startup do. So I think that's one of the, the risks that I think a lot of, especially in certain countries like in China, where a, co a company needs to decide whether they go on a certain a platform of a big technology firm or not, uh, you know, and there's a couple strategic decisions to be made there. That being said, um, what's been very interesting in the last 12 months is kind of this whole debate around data privacy and the kind of the sharing of information that a lot of large technology firms have. I was actually um, impressed with how much that came on the forefront, actually, of a lot of the public debate, the public discourse uh, with everyday people. And actually, it's going to be interesting if that creates kind of a backlash over the coming years with the large technology firms where they're happy to share, people are happy to share a picture of their cat, but are they necessarily happy to share, use their banking out of it? I think, as many of us know, uh, for a lot of people, convenience is the most important thing. So if uh, these tech firms can offer the convenience, fine, people will do will use it. I think a great experiment for this will be a lot of the, a lot of the new virtual or digital banks that are being launched today. You know, as you know, there's a number of these partnerships or collaborations going on in the U.S., in Hong Kong, actually, where you're based right now, Justin, there's a, a number of virtual banks that are being launched by these large technology firms. So I think the next couple of months will be very interesting to watch um, on whether people trusted these large, these technology firms into financial services and what their impact will be. Uh, but again, I, I'm very positive overall. I believe the large technology firms have had a very, very big impact on the financial services industry because whereas big banks could kind of laugh at the fintech startups saying, ah, oh, they're nice little cute additions to our ecosystem, they cannot say the same thing with the large technology firms because they know if they go head to head, they're probably going to lose. So I think it's going to be a very interesting debate to watch. Exactly. And, you know, again, great point uh, on how, uh, you know, these data and security issues came to the forefront of political discourse. You know, th this is one of the trickle down effects of when we adopt technology and technology races ahead of us. And, and so fast to a point that, you know, these are the side uh, side issues that, you know, we, we didn't necessarily think about beforehand. Um, to end things off, Henry, on that point of innovation, I do want to explain to you the title of the podcast, Scalescape. Um, and, and so when we're breaking that down, when we're scaling and building companies, uh, you know, for the masses, and we're trying to make that a really successful um, uh, uh, a product or a company or whatever, we need to take into account all the external factors, the landscape, if you will, like the geography, the sectors, the timing, product market fit, all that kinds of stuff. What is one tip that you can give to founders or entrepreneurs to scalescaping their companies or products towards success? Well, it's a good question, actually. The, um, the, um, I would say there's two things. I mean, for in fintech, for B2C fintech, I would say is the pain points. I think everybody here who's used a banking banking service has, has experienced those pain points. I mean, it's, I'm amazed that today in 2020, despite all the money that's been to banking, everybody still hates their bank. I'm amazed. God forbid I have to make a cross-border transaction where I have to put the correspondent banking, the SWIFT information. I think it's absolutely terrible. I would argue that in many cases now, uh, the one thing I think we have to see is areas where there are no 
um, barriers that are put in place. That's why, for example, I love the crypto industry personally, because I think in many cases you had the chance to reinvent finance as you know it. Uh, but banks today, they're, they're because of legacy systems, they, they have, there's a lot of manual processes involved. You know, there's a lot of people are just involved doing very manual jobs that could be easily automated. But the problem is a lot of these banks, because of legacy systems, they're not able to plug in new technology. Whereas if you look at the crypto industry, often it's brand new organizations, a brand new industry. There's no legacy issues yet. Amazing. Awesome. Uh, Henry, thank you so much for taking the time out of your schedule to do this. Um, I, I appreciate it a lot. And I'm sure our listeners sure. are able to really carve out so many, so the, all these strategies for them to use. So again, thank you so much for your time, Henry. Of course. And for your listeners who want to follow, you know, I do a lot of work in the crypto space. I have a weekly video, a one minute video called the Crypto Capsule on LinkedIn. I have another show called Fintech Capsule on LinkedIn. I also share them on, on, on Twitter, but also if people are interested in my last book, you know, The Future of Finance is available as well, published by Padre McMillan. Uh, but I think the best way to keep in touch, anybody's interested, is by Twitter or via LinkedIn. It's Henry Arslanian, Henry H-E-N-R-I, the French way, Arslanian, A-R-S-L-A-N-I-A-N. Uh, like any good I-A-N name, it's a typical Armenian name, so uh, very easy to find. Thank you very much. It was great to have you. Thanks for having me, Justin. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Skillscape. If you like this content, check out Skillscape on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. I'd love to hear your thoughts and to connect with you. I'll see you next week.